You're listening to one of the sermons preached from Shalom Baptist Chapel, recorded at one of our worship services. Good morning, Shalom Baptist Chapel and Good News Baptist Church and all those of you who are listening, viewing through live streaming. Listening to the sermons preached by the three pastors, Pastor Ayan, Pastor Faith, and Pastor Joseph, my, the batteries of my soul were recharged, and I pray that yours too will have been recharged. So would you join me in encouraging them by giving them a round hand of applause for preaching the Word of God faithfully. Now, 907-345. You can do better than that, can't you? All right, one more time. Give them a round of applause. As well as to the worship team from Good News for their heartfelt worship. Thank you, Pastor Ayan for inviting me to preach the Word of God, which always gets me excited. Now, Ayan's kind introduction will tell you that he and I must be very good friends, correct? Do you know, there is nothing I would not do for Ayan. And do you know, there is nothing Ayan wouldn't do for me. As a result, we have gone through life doing nothing for each other. <laughs> well, thank you again, Ayan. Anyway, this morning is a continuation of the book of James. And today, the focus is on James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. The text today deals with a problem that has arisen in the church. What is the problem? The problem is this. In the church, in that church where James was writing to, there are two groups of people. One group claims that you can have faith without action or faith without works. Another group claims you can have action without faith. Question, which group is correct? So, let's zoom in into our text this morning and see what the Apostle James says. So, may I invite uh, Athia to read uh, the scripture text for today? Okay, so James um, chapter 2, verse 14 to 20. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you can say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see your brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. 
Now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't do good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish! Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestors Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scripture says. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Thank you, Athia, for reading God's word. So, the question arises, which group is correct? The group that says that you can have faith without action or the other group that says you can have action without faith? According to what we have read just now, both groups are wrong. James is trying to convince the church that you Practical Christianity or biblical Christianity is not simply about orthodoxy. That means right practice. But it is also about orthopraxis, right, right practice and right belief. And so what James is saying, you need both. You cannot have faith minus action or action minus faith. And so... In today's, uh, in today's focus, James tries to convince the people. And how does he make his case? Very simple. He gives four examples. Two examples of faith without works and two faith with works to convince the church that you need both. And so the first thing that James does is to give the first example of faith without works. And the example he has chosen is none other than the destitute, those who are poor and needy. And so James says, if you see a destitute who is poor and needy, and especially the destitute are your brothers and sisters, and you see them and you say to them, I have faith. God bless you. God, God gives you mercy and God be with you. James says, that is not faith. That is faith without action. All that you are doing is giving pious words or we say, NATO, no action, talk only. And so James says, that is not correct. You say you have faith for that person. But if you yourself do not help that person, that is not faith. In Chinese, we say, Fei Hua, 
Now all you are giving is just empty words. And so, James is saying, it is important that when we see the poor, the destitute, the needy, and we, 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 we say nice words to them, God bless you, we should also act and not simply say those words. Did you hear the story of the boy who falls madly in love with a girl that he just meets recently? And in order to express his love for that girl, he decides to write a letter. And this is how the letter goes. Dear Sally, I will climb the highest mountain just for you. I will cross the burning desert just for you. I will swim the farthest ocean just for you. Love, Peter. And at the end of the letter, P.S. If it doesn't rain, I will come. You see the point? I hope you get the point. All right? So that is his first illustration of faith without action. Second example he gives. Surprisingly, he uses demons as an example. And he says, if you say you believe there is one God, good for you, congratulations. You know why? Demons also believe in one God. Better still, the demons tremble at the name of God. Why? Because the demons know there is a God. The demons encounter God. But what's the problem? It does not lead to repentance. What is the point of saying you believe in God, but it does not lead to repentance, correct? The demons believe that there is a God, but no point. Intellectual assent, intellectual belief will not help anybody. And this is important for you to know. In the world, we have human atheists, correct? People who don't believe in God. But are you surprised there are no demon atheists? Think about it. I, I, I myself was very surprised. You know, even the supernatural forces, the demons, believe there's a God. But what is the point? That belief does not lead to repentance, does not lead to change. And so till today, the demons are out subverting undermine the work of God. And so, in other words, if you say you believe in God, but that belief does not lead in action, it will not do. And so what James is saying in the first section is simply this. Faith without works won't work. Let me repeat. Faith without works won't work. Let me illustrate. For example, if one of you were to come to me and say that you've got a headache, and then I pull out of my pocket and I ask you, what is this? The, who, if you are the person, you see, of course, I know. Panadol. Do you know that Panadol will cure your headache? Yes! 
do you believe that taking one of these will dissolve your headache? You say yes. But then, it does you no good. Why? Because head knowledge. You have not acted upon the knowledge. If you had, then it will make the cure. And that precisely is the point that James tries to make. Faith on something requires you to act upon it. So, two examples of faith without action. Then he continues on, gives us another two examples of faith with action. And guess what? He decides to use two Old Testament examples. One of them, Father Abraham. And James asks, how does Abraham prove his faith in God? By his action. The story of Abraham in the book of Genesis is a very poignant and moving story. It's about a man who proves his belief in God by acting in obedience to God when God asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, on the altar. Let me narrate the story of Abraham, perhaps dramatize and perhaps use a bit of imagination. And I, I will tell the story of Abraham in using four episodes. Episode number one, the announcement. Imagine, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, are having a romantic candlelight dinner, celebrating their anniversary. And on that dinner, imagine, what do they have? I think it's a four-course four Western dinner. Number one, barbecued lamb chop. Mamma mia! Now, I know that's Ayan's favourite, your pastor's favourite. Followed by soup, tomato soup. Followed by salad dressing. And then finally, sky juice. In other words, plain water. And so while they were eating and, and, and chit-chatting, thinking of their marriage, suddenly an angel appears unto them and said, you are going to have a son. Guess what? Sarah, upon hearing that news, began to laugh hysterically. Ha, 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 ha. Now, I don't blame her. You would not blame her. You know why? She would have told herself, I am 90 years old. There can be no way. But you know what's interesting? Abraham, no reaction. I suppose men are men, huh? huh? No. So she got hysterical. And, and, and I even think if, if Sarah were a Chinese, she would have whispered to the husband, you know what? Moming, the chi miao, chi miao, the moming. Correct? You know, because it's ridiculous. Anyway, episode number two, the promise. We are told in the book of Genesis, Abraham, God 
came to Abraham while he is sleeping. And so the voice of God came, Abraham, Abraham, come out of your tent. And so Abraham sleepily woke up, recognizing the voice of God without brushing his teeth or changing his clothes. He walked out sleepily. And then God said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to look up the sky. And so Abraham looked, looks up to the sky. And then God says, Abraham, I want you to count the stars. And so Abraham obediently did what God says, what God said. And so he counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Then he says, God, balik. I have to start all over again. I lost count. One, two, three, four, five. And then he gives up and says, God, I cannot do it. And then the Lord God said, says to Abraham, just as the stars are countless, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham, again, the Bible does not record his reaction. He must have walked sleepily back into the tent and he sleeps. Episode number three, the fulfillment. I can imagine with me that Abraham, every evening when he comes back to work, guess what does he say? And this is what I think he would have said. Honey, I'm home. Every night, all right? Every evening after work. But one day, something miraculous, miraculously, um, a, a miracle happened. Abraham, as usual, comes back and then shouts to Sarah, Honey, I'm home. And then to his surprise, Sarah rushes out and then says, Honey, I'm pregnant, I'm pregnant. Sorry, uh, sometimes my enthusiasm gets over me, all right? And so, what, what did they do? We do not know. We do not know, all right? Be that as it may be. True enough, Sarah conceived and gives birth to a boy, and they name him Isaac. The word Isaac means one who loves. And so, as any doting parents, Abraham and Sarah love the boy, dotes on the boy. And, 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 and Isaac, the Bible says, grows up to be a normal boy. And guess what? What was his childhood like? I like to imagine, as an ordinary child, what does he do? Swims in the river, plays in the rain, catching spider, playing marbles, playing shuttlecock. Come to think of it, I'm describing my own childhood. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I would think. All right? And then he grows up to be a normal boy. And so everything was fantastic. Episode number four. Now comes the anticlimax. After years of raising up Isaac, 
God comes to him. When Isaac is about, about maybe 20 to 25 years old, and then says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you, all right, to sacrifice your son on the altar. Now, God could have said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to bring your son and go to Mount Moriah and I tell you what to do. No. God makes it worse. And these are the exact words, all right, from Scripture. This is what God says to Abraham. Abraham, I want you to take your son. That is not enough. The son that you love. Not enough. Whom you love very dearly. Wow. Triple whammy. And the Bible says, now, again, we are not told about his emotion or his reaction. But the Bible simply says, Abraham obeys. And you know how the story goes? Abraham brings his son to Mount Moriah. Now, remember, Isaac doesn't know that he is to be the sacrifice. But Isaac, being a very smart boy, halfway, climbing up the mountain, asked the father, Father, where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And Abraham, somehow with that faith in God, says, the Lord will provide. That is where you get the phrase, Yahweh Ire, the Lord will provide. And you know how the story goes, all right? Just as Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, the Lord, the angel stopped him and says, no need. Instead, sacrifice the lamb that I have provided by the side. Be that as it may be, the story. From that story, you and I can learn one very precious lesson. And what is the lesson? God has never, never promised you that when you go through trials, things are going to be easy. Things are going to be smooth. No, never. But He has always promised He will give you the strength, the grace, and the stamina to go through. And that is how you triumph through trials. And if you trust in God when you go through trials, all right, instead of being a vanquished Christian, you can become a victorious Christian. Instead of being defeated by circumstances, you can be an overcomer and also a conqueror. Question, do you trust God? Do you trust God? How many of you, God has asked you to do difficult things in life that you find it very hard? Can I see your hands? I'm very surprised so few of you. Good news. The rest of you, 
they will come. They will come. Just get ready. I assure you, they will come. But I hope you take that lesson from Abraham's sacrifice. That when you go through, guess what? James uses the example and says, God declares him righteous. And not only that, God gives him a title that nobody else has. And what is the title? A friend of God. Wow. When you go through trials and you triumph through, your reward outweighs the tests and the trials. So, Abraham, the fact that he believes in God and he acted on the belief by sacrificing his son, James says, that is faith and action. Faith accompanied by action. And then he gives another example, the fourth example, Rahab. You know, I like James. First, he gives an example of a male. Now, he gives another example of a female, Rahab. The story of Rahab comes from the book of Joshua again, from the Old Testament, because to them, the, uh, uh, the Old Testament is the inspired word of God. Rahab, again, how does Rahab the prostitute prove her faith in God? By action. And so the story goes that Rahab is a prostitute in the Canaanite city of Jericho. Joshua sends two spies to Jericho to see the situation because they are about to attack and destroy the city. And so these two spies happen to meet Rahab. And these, these two spies say to Rahab, Rahab, you and your family will be saved. Now remember, Rahab is a Canaanite, non-believer, but she believes them. And how does she prove her belief? By hiding the two spies, protecting them. Because the enemies, uh, the, the, the soldiers was roaming, were roaming about in the city. And so, James says, you see, Rahab, belief is not enough, but she acts upon the belief, protects, hides them. And then, true enough, the day came. Joshua's army destroys the, the city, but she and her family have been spared. So, all these to say, Faith with works will surely work. Faith with works will surely work. The first two examples, faith without works won't work. Second, the other two examples, faith with works will surely work. One of my favourite stories comes from the famous tightrope walker. Uh, do you know what's a tightrope walker? It's somebody who walks from one end to another end. So the story goes of this famous tightrope walker, all right, who tells the people that he's going to walk, uh, 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 the, walk across the Niagara Fall without any safety net, but only with a pole. So on the day the announcement uh, is made, Many people came and gathered 
to listen or uh, to see his performance. And so the first performance was he takes a pole and walks through the tight the, the wire and then walks back. And the, the entire crowd, you know, gives him thunderous applause. And then for his second act, he takes a wheelbarrow and then on the wheelbarrow, he puts a sack of potatoes and true enough, he walks on that tight rope, the, the wire, to and fro. And the, the, the crowd, the applause becomes more thunderous. Great! And then for his third act, he tells the people below, do you believe I can take a human being and put on the wheelbarrow? The people say, yes, yes, because you, you have done it. And then he says, is there any volunteer? Suddenly, there was silence. Nobody moved. Some people even went away. And then, the tightrope walker happens to see this burly man eating ice cream, smiling. And then, he looks at that man and said, how about you, sir? Immediately, he fainted. You get the point? It is one thing to say you believe. It is another thing to act upon that belief. So, in summary, James is trying to, uh, James is cautioning the church about profession without practice, words without deeds, faith and action or faith and works must go hand in hand. You see, faith and action are like two sides of a coin, right? It's not one side, there are two sides. Or better still, faith and action are what we call a Siamese twin. You cannot detach them. They are inseparable. They are intertwined. And so James ends this section of the epistle by giving them a metaphor. And the metaphor is this. A body without breath or life is dead or is a corpse. So faith without action, faith without works is simply dead. It is useless. It is barren. It is of no use. Charlie Pierce is one of England's most notorious criminals in the history of uh, crime. Finally, the law catches up with him and he is judged. He, is, he was arraigned at the court and he is found guilty. And so, on that faithful day when he is about to be hung, those days they do hanging, a priest is sent to comfort him. And so this priest brings with him a religious book and then begins to read indifferently and with some scripture verses inside the book. 
and Charlie Peace somehow feels the hurt, the pain. Because in his mind, he asks himself, how can a priest read a book indifferently to someone who is about to die? How can a priest who believes in hell be so unmoved without tears, knowing that that person is going to hell? And Charlie Peace feels the hurt and the pain, and he cannot take it anymore. Then he begins to blurt at the priest. And this is what he says. Sir, if I believe like you believe, if I believe like the church of God believes, even if England were to be filled with broken pieces of glasses, I would gladly crawl on my knees and my hands just to save one damn soul from hell. Sir, if I believe like you believe, if I believe like the church of God believes, even if England would be filled with broken pieces of glasses, I would gladly crawl on my knees and my hands just to save one damn soul from hell. Would you kindly bow your heads with me right now and close your eyes? We are going to do business with God. And in a spirit of prayer, I'm going to ask you just one simple, significant, but serious question. And I'd like you to respond accordingly. Imagine you have been arrested in a foreign country for being a Christian. Is there sufficient evidence to convict you? Is there? Or let me put it in another way. Imagine you are convicted for being a Christian in Singapore. Is there sufficient evidence to convict you? Is there? In a little while, the invitation hymn, Refiner's Fire, will be played. And with eyes closed, head bowed, Ask the Holy Spirit, purify my heart. Let me be as gold and precious silver. Purify my heart. Cleanse me from all sin within. Refiner's fire. My heart's one desire is to be holy. Purify my heart. 
cleanse me from within. Make me ready to do your will. Make me ready to do your will. 